0: Welcome to episode 138 of the Sentientism Podcast, a podcast about what's real and what matters. The Sentientism worldview answers those two deep questions by committing to evidence, reason, and compassion for all sentient beings. In this episode, I speak with Paige Parsons-Roach. Paige is Communications Director for this global streaming platform Unchained TV. After initially going vegan for the environment, Jane became an ethical vegan after attending her first vigil with LA Animal Save. Paige later became a contributor for Jane Unchained News, where she reported on vigils, Peter protests, veg fests, book launches, Cubes of Truth and vegan conferences. Paige then became the booker for Lunch Break Live, a daily cooking show, and senior booker for Jane Unchained News. Now as Unchained TV's comms director, and co-producer and co-host of the Plant Based in the Burbs show, Paige brings inspiration, humour and humbleness to the kitchen, showing simple swap-outs and easy recipes to inspire people to bring more plants to their plates. She also works with Gwenna Hunter, who launched the first vegan food bank in Southern California. I'd love to know what you think of this episode and the 137 others. Don't forget to work through that back catalogue if you've just found us. Hopefully these episodes are pretty timeless Every person who reviews and rates or shares our podcast with a friend helps us nudge more people towards more compassionate, rational thinking. That is the plan. You can find out more about sentientism at sentientism.info, where you can sign up for email updates or just search for sentientism on your favorite social media platform. You'll be made welcome in all of our global online communities. They're open to anyone interested, not just sentientists. Thanks for listening. Good morning, Paige. How are you?
1: I'm doing great. How are you doing, James?
0: Very good. Very good. It's great to span the time zones from what's almost a completely dark four o'clock London over to LA where you're facing the new day. So, but and it's great to have a proper conversation because we've swapped messages before emails and Facebook messages, but it's the first time we've actually talked sort of face-to-face, albeit <laughs> over Zoom. The new
2: face yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> we've got used to this in the last couple of years, so it feels like the new normal now. And, um, and we have quite a few connections with previous guests already. So, you know, uh, Carol Raphael Davis, he was my first and second ever guest. She was the woman who, in the gentlest possible way, bullied me into starting this YouTube and podcast series in the first place. You helped me queue up the conversation with Jane Velez Mitchell way back in episode 46. Um, and you suggested Dr. Selesh Rao as well, who was my guest in um, episode 82. So it's brilliant to get the chance to talk to you I'm not sure which number you're going to be but somewhere in the late 130s I think but it's brilliant to talk to you Um, and as you all know already um, this is a series of conversations about what I think was the two deepest philosophical questions what's real how should we understand reality and what and who matters questions of uh, epistemology and ethics. And I have an obvious bias because I'm trying to popularise and develop this really pluralistic worldview called sentientism, which I summarise as evidence, reason, and compassion for all sentient beings. So it suggests a naturalistic approach to understanding the world. And it suggests that when it comes to who gets our compassion, it should be all sentient beings, every being that can suffer and flourish in particular. Uh, but I'm talking to people in these conversations who disagree or maybe agree with different parts of that worldview. So it will be great to understand your own story and where you've got to now. And now I'm going to shut up and let you introduce yourself for people who don't know you
2: already.
1: I appreciate that. Thank you so much. Well, I'm the communications director with Unchained TV, and we're a streaming platform global. You can get it you know, all over. You just, just basically go to unchainedtv.com and uh, also work with the acquisitions of uh, content. We have great content, documentaries and um, music videos, cooking shows, and everything that somebody who is looking for free content, who anybody who's looking for free content, and that is the number one searched word is free. So when they're looking for free content, um, they just want to dive into something, they're going to land into Unchained TV and then, you know, find all kinds of information that maybe they didn't know before that maybe is on the mainstream, but most of it isn't. So it's information that's available um, for at people's fingertips, which is really great. It's a newly launched. But we're over a million views globally, and p- people are watching it in places like Estonia and places where they can't get other content, which is really cool. Getting this message out there, so yeah. um, that's one of the, the things that I work with, and I'm also working with Gwen Hunter, who's just recently launched the vegan, the first brick and mortar vegan food bank in the nation, um, and she's the first Black woman to have launched one, and she's also bringing food insecurity uh, or security to universities in the uh, California area. So those are some of the projects I'm working with. I also um, help support the communications and the production of climate healers, uh, what we call VCOP now, Vegans Convergence of the People, and it's coming together uh, a quarterly tour. Um, and we have conversations about how to have a vegan world by 2026, Dr. Silas Rao's Pinky Promise with his granddaughter. So those are really kind of the three main projects. I also have two children. Um, they're grown, but, you know, what that's like, they're in their 20s. They're still in university here. Um, and yes, those are some of the things I'm working on.
0: Brilliant. Thank you. So sort of global digital stuff and then also some really practical on the ground uh, work, too. and. A couple of kids. It sounds like a bit crazily busy life. I don't know how you, you do it. All.
1: I always forget to promote my own project to my very own, which is called Plant Based in the Burbs. And it's a cooking show. And it's actually available on Unchained TV. So I do have to say, watch Plant Based in the Burbs. And it's a fun cooking show with my partner, Sherry Cherie. And we just basically show how easy it is to bring plants on your plate.
0: Yeah. And awesome. in a
1: very simple way
0: and people should definitely come to you rather than me for cooking advice because i just had a cold can of baked beans for lunch so it was nutritious and healthy and plant based but it's probably not going to set people's gastronomic um, senses alight but yeah so go go to you not to me for that uh, <laughs> thank you and you in in the work you've done you've seen so many different types of advocacy and activism as well i'm gonna, that's fascinating in our final question about the future i'd love to get your views on you know these all these different ways of pushing us towards a better world but before we get to those let's let's dig into some of these these fundamental philosophical questions so the first question i'd like to ask is what's real so for many of my guests that's a story about how they grew up originally and was was that in uh, maybe a quite naturalistic scientifically minded maybe agnostic or atheist family and social context or one that may, was maybe more mystical or spiritual or uh, religious in some sense and how has that side of their thinking changed through the course of their life if it has and where are you now so how do you think about those big questions of what is reality is there a god you know is there supernatural stuff
1: yes well i appreciate that question and i want to i feel like uh, having reviewed these questions i i want to start with something that i did in my 20s i did a workshop and it was about paradigm shifting it was about thinking about what is real what how do we come to know our world from the beginning mm. and conversation languaging and um so what i mean by that is when you think about we we have come we are human beings and we came through knowing ourselves through language and the agreement on certain things about language and so when you think about it in in american english language we've agreed on certain words apple being apple um pear being pear you know running is running and um, sentience is sentience humane is humane inhumane is inhumane so when i think about before i was in my 20s and i did this workshop about paradigm shifting and learning that what is real is what you say is real in a sense of what you've learned from your background from what all the experiences and then the conversation by which that you create for yourself about what is real because what is real and then we've agreed upon as, as social dynamics and cultures upon what is real so you know i'm jumping into something dog meat trade dog eating is acceptable in certain cultures horse meat is acceptable in certain cultures where in other cultures horses are revered they would never eat a horse right so my point is that before, in my 20s, I accepted things for what was told to me, I will say, from my family, from, you know, the elders that I looked up to. And there was a basis of religion. When I was um, when I was eight years old, my mother, we raised myself and my, my three brothers, so four of us, when they my parents divorced, uh, my mother was struggling. She sent us to live on a farm in Tennessee with my grandparents for one year. And I'm from California to Tennessee farm. And I remember thinking that life was very different for them. And there was a different set of ethics and morals. It felt like in some ways that I had seen before and like hard work, you know, working, getting up in the morning, being, they were, they were cattle ranchers, my aunt and uncle. Um, and my grandparents were helping my aunts, my, this uncle had passed and they were helping him, helping keep the farm alive, right? And I had no idea what was going on. Um, but the hard work, the love I saw between my grandparents, and these were things that I took with me when I moved back to California a year later. And I remember thinking, always, when it got things got a little crazy in my life, in, my, in the 10 years my mom married a man, and it was a bit nutty. There was a lot of uh, just it was very different than the farm. Let's put it that way. We became very wealthy and it became this kind of um, wealth that was, uh, I think, misused in a lot of ways.
2: And different world,
1: a different world. And the thing that sticks with me the most is those morals and values and ethics that I learned and became part of my reality, became part of my real because I chose that I chose to and my brothers as well. We chose to remember those times and take them through to now how we're raising our families. So I know that might be it's not the philosophical, scientific, you know, academia way of thinking. It's probably more spiritual than anything. Yeah. And I would say that I'm more spiritual than I am religious. Um, yet it's given me a framework to look at everything like as an animal activist now, when i when people say to me, "But I only eat humane meat, I think, Okay, but let's talk about that because is it humane for you? You, You're you actually feel it's acceptable for you because you there's a a a group dynamic. There's a group acceptance that the way in which that animal is killed is humane. And I looked this up. You know, this is back in the 1800s in the UK where humane was created, and and there was probably people who felt the sentience of animals fighting against the farmers and saying, okay, let's come to an agreement. And now we're living inside of these. And now animal activists are are going around doing, you know, out on boots on the street and, and, you know, lobbyists are lobbying for change. Lawyers are presenting, you know, cases for the sentience of animals around the world. And we, some people decided that it was agreeable that just our halal, you know, all the different cultural ways in which animals are killed in a humane way so that people could feel comfortable eating these animals,
0: yeah, and I find it fascinating because it's understandable in a way, just because of how we've evolved and what we are as humans, that 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 those labels we put on things and the language we agree and the social norms we agree implicitly or explicitly. Um, are very important to us and central to us in a way you know this sort of should be right for us to cooperate and work together and communicate they have to be important but it's really easy to forget that they're not actually reality right they're they're things we have constructed to put labels on now at the same time that doesn't mean they're not important but I think it does Mean that we have to remind ourselves that these are labels, this is language, these are things we're using to describe and to imperfectly understand things. But they are not, they should not be set adrift from reality. Because if they're set adrift, we can end up doing terrible things or believing things that are wrong, or even just having arbitrary views about things that have no connection in the real world, which often has negative effects as well. So find they're important, find they're central, we need them to communicate, but they have to be tethered to actual reality in some way um so I think it's a really useful perspective to do what you do and like take a step back and look at those labels and think hmm what why was it described that way why did it it come to be agreed that way whose purposes was that addressing and is it really tethered to reality or not yeah it's interesting
1: exactly and and I I I agree with you in that we have come up with these social norms and have so that we can interact with one another so that we can have agreements so that we can um you know so- socially let's just face it though in the past couple of years things have been like blown up and i think people have are starting to look at what is real what have we decided who aren't the um people that we're going to trust in mm. who are we believing and really taking some power back in ourselves and our communities and with our families and saying, what how do we want this the future to be? A lot of systems are breaking down in a good way. Yeah. And I mean, well, some are breaking down not in such a good way, like here in the United States, but actually at the same time, it is good that things are breaking up. I think it's been an upheaval that we need to look at things and say, is this how we want to continue, like for instance, with our climate crisis?" You know, COP 27 just happened, and what's happening? What what changes are actually going to be made versus you know all the same kind of posturing
2: and
1: yeah. optics to look like you know the greenwashing things that are going on. So it's important that we continue to break these conversations up and these this languaging up and look at what yeah. this yeah exactly who is this serving. And is it really serving us as human beings as as an evolution to evolve?
2: Yeah,
0: and I think breaking those concepts up and reevaluating them, if you like checking back in with reality is absolutely centrally important. And the climate issue is a great example where we have to, you know, hold on, let's check we're really understanding what's going on here and not just drift off into a dip direction. But I think there is a danger because some people will look at these sort of ossified language and labels and ways of thinking and say, look, they're, they're fixed, they're they're broken, they're disconnected with reality, they might cause harm. So let's break them, right? And I think I would agree, let's break them and challenge them. But they break them in a way that then actually disconnects them even further from reality. So they might go into a sort of relativistic place where which says, look, we should be able to just come up with terms and language and agreements and social norms arbitrarily based on the dynamics of our own group, where I'm like, well, uh, you know, I think you've you've gone from one problem, which is a sort of ossified way of understanding that doesn't connect with reality, you've broken that up. But then if you're disconnecting it from reality, it's just as arbitrary. So I don't like this idea of look, we we've misunderstood. So let's give up on meaning and let's give up on reality completely. Like that's to me, that's almost the opposite mistake. And there is some middle ground of, you know, keeping the flexibility, but checking back in with re- reality to reevaluate rather than just throw it all up in the air and Makes it up
1: (laughs) that's irresponsible that's irresponsible we need to work together we need to find people who are able to make these kinds of system changes like in america we're we've got a farm bill coming up so there are lobbyists there are vegan lobbyists who are out there moving to dc to lobby because otherwise things are going to be stuck in place i think it's 23 years and it's going to be airing on the side of subsidies for meat dairy and eggs again And it's going to keep those systems in place rather than supporting the change for the plant-based, you know, future. And uh, they're doubling down hard on the media too. Oh, you see the way that they're, you know, flipping things around. And that's, that's my um, forte, I would say, is the communications. Um, And so that's, henceforth, working with Unchain TV is bringing the information out to the masses is the best way I found is for activism. Yeah. You know? yeah,
0: yeah, I agree. And I, and I think you've also illustrated a bunch of different cases there where that reminds us that epistemology and how we know things isn't just some sort of useful intellectual exercise. It actually has a bearing on our ethics and our mistakes and the good and the bad we do, right? I mean, That's partly why it's sometimes hard to structure these conversations because you get into ethical topics straight away even while we're trying to talk about epistemology. But I agree, right? It's not enough just to have compassionate ethics. You also need to have a decent, realistic, accurate understanding of the world. Otherwise, you can make terrible mistakes. And what often strikes me is that if someone's got a broken epistemology, right, they're just wrong about reality. That can lead into terrible ethics. But also, if someone's got terrible ethics, as I would argue, the lobbyists supporting animal agriculture do, they can break and warp epistemology to serve their own ends, right? Because they want to continue doing what they're, what they're doing. The actual facts aren't convenient. Let's spread some fabrications, frankly, or warping or gaslighting or distortions of the truth or missing disinformation. So I do think these two fields of you know what's real and what matters are intimately tied together. Um, but I do want to just come back to the I guess the canonical question about the natural and the supernatural. So you talked about there was a religious context when you were growing up, and you describe yourself as spiritual now. Um, when you were more classically religious, was that the sort of usual textbook, you know, God, heaven and hell, Bible type stuff, and you believed those things? Um and then you moved away from that to a spiritual way of thinking, or was the religious thinking ever, never something you really took seriously, and then you drifted into a spiritual way? Of, what was that journey like from a sort of more classical religious way of thinking to what you now describe as spiritual.
1: Well, um, I don't recall before the farm going to any kind of a church setting. So yeah. the farm, the aunt, uh, Aunt Clara was a Sunday school teacher. And, you know, pull out the Bible, just picture it in, you know, middle America. And there was, you know, the ruler was, you know, coming at you if you weren't minding your manners and yeah. minding. They, they they could use the ruler on your bottom in school. That was the thing. Um, so there was a sense of and a literal stick. Yeah, literally. It was lit. So uh, for me, it was there was a Bible and a ruler, and that that ruled. And you know, believe this. And being young, eight, nine, I you know believed it, and yeah. I would say. it. Once I hit middle school, I never really took it very seriously. I was searching, but I wasn't really searching. I just kind of took things at face value, I'll be honest. I was definitely just a kind of a sponge and amoeba, kind of moving around, like kind of going with whatever the flow was, doing my sports and doing my thing and not really questioning much and went into college, sort of a little bit of philosophical things here and there, but pretty much buying into the American way and and the mindset of i guess christianity right yeah and then in my 20s i went to this spiritual center uh after i had done this workshop which is essentially you know let's break open all your paradigms take a look do you really want to believe what your parents taught you does that really serve you does that empower you you know let's look at all of it does it you know if you're suffering why are you suffering is it because you're making this story that you're suffering or what kind of things can you move beyond that 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 so i would say it was like a spiritual break in in belonging but also connecting but not really having any spiritual tones to it per se but yeah. conversations right and then i went to this wonderful place called agape international spiritual truth and reverence dr michael beckwith many people maybe have watched the movie the speech the secret he was in the secret he's world renowned anyway didn't really know him from anybody but was invited and felt like, wow, looking around, this was a cross section of all types of people in all religions. They called it transdenominational, accepting of all. And what do we all have in common? Love. All religions have love in common. All religions have this connection to wanting to be connected. Um, and I, there were other things in there, uh, Howard Thurman and the um, the book, I, it's not like a book. It's not like a dogma that you need to study and know. But Reverend Dr. Michael Beckwith is the person who started it 36 years ago. And this was for me 30 years ago. <laughs> and I went, okay, this is, there was music. It felt like almost a like a Baptist slash Buddhist experience. And I said, this really fits my heart. Yeah, this is a- accepting and welcoming of all and that is what i felt was i had not experienced yet in my life and my soul was yearning for this this feeling of let's find peace among one another let's 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 find the commonality with each other and then work towards creating world peace and without formulating those words until i became an animal activist and i was a, environmentalist before i became an animal activist and i combine the two now um
2: that uh, that's it just really like yeah cool. thank you thank you like and, cool. and in a way
0: it's quite a common story with my guests so a few of them are still religious in a classical sense um many of them have followed my sort of very boring path to being a sort of atheistic naturalistic you know that's it but even those people including myself would still talk in a way that might Ring some bells to people who describe themselves as spiritual, because um this sense of universal compassion, the power of cooperation, um, you know, wanting the best for all, right? I feel those things in um a completely naturalistic context, and I think that would overlap with much of what you've described. And in the same way, even maybe the feelings that some people lead people towards a spiritual sense, I think I feel quite a few of those as well, you know, looking up at the starry sky and the sort of, or understanding the 13.8 billion year history of the universe and just being mind blown at the complexity and the richness of everything around us, right? So, in a way, I think even some of the emotional resonances can be quite similar between a naturalistic person, you know, totally naturalistic person like me and someone with a more spiritual feeling. And we maybe just use slightly different words
2: to describe it.
0: But then there are different, but there are many people who've moved away from a traditionally religious worldview and have taken more your path where they've said, look, I'm going to strip away the institutional, frankly, dead weight of many religions, you know, the the traditional, extremely conservative, backward-looking ethical structures that were written down by powerful men tens or hundreds or thousands of years ago. But what I am going to keep is this sense of something transcendent, something with purpose, something with meaning. And maybe there is something beyond the natural world that we don't understand that could still have some teleological relevance to you know why we're here and what we're
2: doing um so without babbling on too much is your sense of that the spiritual more in sort of
0: my camp of the natural world and awe and wonder and a sense of connectedness and where you know and power of cooperation or is there something supernatural to that where you do have a sense of the transcendent and uh something that's a little bit more mystical or magical i don't want to push you too hard on this but i'm interested i, I find it fascinating
1: because i actually feel like it's a combination and yeah. maybe it hasn't even been put into a terminology just yet yeah. because i really do read like both of those that you're saying feel like that's exactly how i feel so when yeah. you're speaking about it like, yes and yes so let's and again remember naturalist we created that terminology so that we could agree upon that these are things that we agree upon yeah and so then we can feel like we well it's a sense of belonging for us you know and i i i mean animal activist, i feel like i belong in part of a group that is working towards animal liberation yeah. and human liberation you know for for at least for me it's for all it's for all liberation you know yeah. so i i i think it's a combination
0: yeah thank you no, that's great that's great so one of the other things I find interesting here, before we move off this epistemology question, is I, I think there are many of those sort of more modern spiritual movements, and I don't, you know, I don't know the details of the secret, but I have a rough idea of what it's about, um, and some of the movements around that. I think there's a there's there's a lot of good there because it is about com- universal compassion and world peace and coming together as a community and you know sharing this sense of awe. Um, but some of those communities also end up in some quite difficult places, so there can be movements which are so focused on you, um, you know, manifesting your own future that that can lead to an implication that if bad things happen to you, ultimately it's your fault. Um, So there can be some interesting dynamics around some of these groups and these worldviews that in a positive way, bring everything back to you. But then sort of leave you on your own if things don't work out right, because you haven't manifested right. You haven't done the yoga right. You haven't got the right set of crystals or whatever it is. Right. So so there's a set of risks there. Um, and I guess there's also a set of risks that absolutely apply in traditional religions, too, where some of these groups can end up being, you know, high control. You can have charismatic leaders. You can leave, you know, the spiritual thinking can leave enough space for people to insert sort of coercive norms or. Dangerous beliefs, and you can move into sort of cultishness and so on. So I guess this is good and bad as there is in every field. But I guess there's two questions. One, do you ever see any of that stuff uh, that's concerned you, any red flags gone up? And two, how do you think we can guard against that risk that we can keep the the positive aspects of those types of those ways of thinking and but just watch out for the problems?
1: Well, I think, hmm. Let me feel into this because I'm going to feel into it. My dog yeah. is um very excited. It's windy here, and she's right here underneath me. So if you see me wagging my, you know, I'm petting my dog to calm her down. you,
0: you may um, have heard you may have heard Luna out the back as well. she tends to she tends to bark when she really agrees with what my guests say. So she's been okay. enthusi- enthusiastically supporting you. <laughs>
1: well, Taffy's in on the conversation. Um, I haven't seen any of that yet with with Agape personally. But what I will say is I hear what you're saying, and I I think it circles back to responsibility. Mm -hmm. I think if we put so much energy that somebody else has the answer rather than do the work for ourselves and to accept responsibility for our lives. And I really do believe there is a lot of it's somebody else's fault out there. And I think that if we take personal responsibility, we can socially change, you know, as a group. If we stop blaming others and look to see how we are at the matter of it. So, if we're saying, I'm going to manifest a, you know, winning the lottery and then I don't, who's to fault for that? I mean, that, you know, that's one, that's kind of an extreme case, but yeah, also I mean, if, pr- probability
0: you, is your fault, is
2: the
1: right. fault. <laughs> exactly. And also, I mean, you got to be real. Don't blame yourself so, for
2: that. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And in, in manifestation, like I try to keep a groundedness with this. I yeah. don't have a high expectation, but I stay in the hope and action. I yeah. think that's key. Because yeah. if you just hope with intention, and then you're, you know, uh, you're you're putting too much responsibility on something else. You've got, I think, people have got to stop. Like I said, blaming others and really get into the action of how I can make a difference. Don't expect anyone else to do it. And what can you do? Rather than saying somebody else isn't doing enough or I'm one person, I can't make a change. Well, what can you do? What yeah. can yeah. you do out there? And there's lots of ways. You can do clickable activism. There's lots of things you can do to change. Meaning you can you can sit there and share things and promote things and all that right from your seat. You can sign petitions. You can make yeah. phone calls. You know. I mean, um,
0: now that's so- great because it's, so it's like a, yeah. it's like a trying to find that middle ground because blaming others and everything else too much doesn't help because it removes your own agency and saps your own will to do anything. But if you go too far the other way and put everything on yourself, so it's all a personal failure, you know regardless of your circumstances, the power and pressure of others, you know the resources you're lucky enough to have, you know that's a problem too. So it is so it's this sort of middle ground where you keep the the hope and the positivity and you recognize your ability to get stuff done and to have a positive influence in the world, that's got to be a realistic, right? It's got to be you know you can't be too hard on yourself either. Is
2: that I
1: I see what you're saying, but I also think that we as human beings don't want to suffer and that wanna put the blame elsewhere and we don't want to go through what it would take to go through the eye of the needle and accept the responsibility. And okay, I'm gonna say it. All of it, everything that has ever happened to me, and I'm gonna speak for me personally, and this is also something that I learned, I take full responsibility for. And this is even If I may say child abuse, so I'm going to accept responsibility. I know that's what, but I have chosen that to look to, because it empowers me to take responsibility for the actions that I took leading up to that moment. And I'm not saying this is for everyone. I promise you, these are like, people have gone into prisons and forgiven people who have killed their children. I don't know if I could do that. That's like a forgiveness yeah. and an acceptance. It's not saying that it's okay. It's not saying, but it's it's, it's a way of moving forward,
2: yeah. Rather than
1: dwelling in the past and being so angry and miserable, I have chosen. I'm a very happy person given things that have happened in the past that I put behind me and have. You know, some people may think, "Has she struggled at all?" Well, I, ha- you know, I'm. I, I don't need to like go through the list of things, but. Yeah. I do have a brother that took his life at 19. That was very shocking for me. At, when I was 19, he was 20. That turned my world around.
2: That Wow. Yeah.
1: The personal personal struggle that that hurt very much. And then I had in the blocked out the child abuse until I had done this work and allowed myself to go there and look places. Yeah. You know, losing both parents to brain thing injury type things, you know, um at my father at a fairly early age in his 60s and and my mother later um so i think the question comes down to how are you as a human being well how do you want to live your life do you want to suffer do you want to continue to suffer yeah or do you want to go through the needle and come out on the other end and be empowered i'd rather be empowered yeah because i have to do and i want to be the most effective and i'd find if i'm suffering if i'm living in the suffering if I'm living in what happened in the past or if I'm living in making others wrong, that's not moving me forward. That's that's a lot of energy spent on feeling sorry for myself or being angry and and um, not moving forward. So yeah.
2: thank you. I, and
1: I, mm.
0: I, I get that. I get that sense. And I can see the value and the power in that. All right, You maintaining some agency, staying positive, looking forward. and And I can also see the power in. In forgiveness, even in very difficult situations, I mean, I have so much respect for people who have the bravery and the and the and the presence and the maturity to to forgive people in those sorts of situations. But that still seems very different from taking that responsibility on yourself when you genuinely are the victim. and i and I do worry that edges towards a sort of victim blaming mentality of saying, well you're the victim ultimately it's your responsibility and you should take that on that's different from forgiving others do you see what i mean that's where i get nervous
2: i i
1: i I actually stay curious with people i i don't walk around saying you're the victim and i have chosen not to hold that space for people anymore
2: yeah yeah.
1: that is also unfair each person's experience is their own and so i guess what i'm saying is that Again, going back to what? How do you want to feel empowered in your life? And um, I, there are definitely scenarios where there are victims and uh, perpetrators. So yeah,
0: and systemic uh, influences that we have exactly. very little control over, frankly. Exactly. Yeah. And
1: and and I'm speaking to my life experience. Yeah. this is my life experience that I've been given, and how can I best utilize my life experience to the maximum of my life experience and to bring voice to those who don't have an opportunity to speak for themselves. And I, trust me, I could be doing so many things every single day and I've chosen animal activism and I've chosen the, what I feel is the justice around the farm workers, the, the slaughterhouse workers, the children that are working in slaughterhouses they just discovered here in America, 13 of them were, um, they're 31 31 and they were like 13 year olds it's horrible night night shift um uh, working in slaughterhouses having to work around the, in those conditions and so forth um uh it, the list goes on for what yeah. i do do my best to do and i could probably do more and i'm also choosing to show my children don't live in a space of i oh i i have privilege here i'm going to do nothing no be active and work towards the the justice for others that's yeah. important for for people. My message is it's important. Don't just sit in your wealth and say, "I'm done," and maybe just contribute here." What can you do? Yeah, There's so many things we can do to to impact change for others in a positive yeah.
0: way.: Yeah, thank you. That's a powerful message. And we've already started talking about the second massive question of what matters and and who matters. And like I said, it's really hard. And I don't think it makes sense to separate the conversation in a way, despite the way I asked the questions. Um, But you've already given lots of hints about how you might ask this question, answer this question about what's right and wrong and good and bad um, and who matters. I mean, it's very clear that you care deeply about non-human animals, not just human animals. You've talked about justice. Um, So again, I'm interested in how you, as you went through that life journey from sort of religious to sort of more spiritual way of thinking, how you think about good and bad and right and wrong. What do what ethics and morality even mean to you? Because in a religious worldview, you're sort of given a you know, list of rules and a God that will punish you, right? As the the supernatural version of your, you know, the aunt with the, with, with the ruler, if you like. So it's
2: really it's of,
0: yeah, it's sort of laid out for you. And in yeah. a way, you know, good and bad is really a question ultimately of obedience. It's not a question of necessary ethical behavior. But once you move away from that, um, yeah, how do you think about what matters and also who matters?
1: You know, it's when I think about it, one one real cornerstone is "thou shall not kill." That's a cornerstone for me, and it's yeah. interesting. These come from the Bible, and yeah, doesn't um, mean
0: it doesn't mean all the commandments are rubbish.
1: <laughs> <laughs> do unto others as you would do unto yourself. Yeah. So, and some people. St- you know, may not treat themselves kindly. So they think it's okay to, you know, be unkind to others. But, you know, when I think about who matters, I mean, listen, I came to this awakening seven years ago. I wasn't always vegan. Yeah. My How did you go doctor- through that story?
0: Yeah. Because I assume you just, you grew up like a normal American, right? Like you said, ranch, ranching America.
1: and. Yes, yes. And then, but then from that experience moved into essentially all needs met and, um, for ten years, and then, you know, on my own. so, um, my daughter comes home. She's thirteen years old. she's twenty one now. before she was fourteen, she came comes home and she says, "I'm going to go. I'm vegan. I'm vegan mom." And I said, "Oh, well, what, how do you come to that?" She said, "Well, I'm doing a research project in middle school on food waste. And essentially, she stumbled into um, videos about animals and how they're treated. And she had she was a self-chosen um, vegetarian at nine. And it's interesting. Wow. I didn't even know that until later that she was she would not eat any fish do we put on or any chicken or any and but she never said anything about it. She just was. She just chose that. She had an awareness that she wow. said, "I'm no longer going to be eating." Animals at nine. And again, I just I find it astounding because she tells me this later. So I start cooking things and learning, but I wasn't. um, It was inconvenient. And we Americans and many people, I would say human beings look for convenience. We try to get into our comfort zone. As much as we possibly can, I think. But you it know, sounds we... like you didn't. It, it sounds like
0: you didn't have a sort of identity-based reaction to it. Like we come from a ranching family. You know, are you oh, rejecting? No. Rejecting? Was it was it was just the inconvenience thing? Was it or?
1: No, I will say there was a there was an identity of well, we go to sushi and we eat yeah. out with friends, and this is going to mix up the pot with the family gatherings. And what are we gonna? You know, how, how is? You know, for her it was one thing, but I couldn't. I wasn't even thinking vegan when she went vegan. I was like, okay, that's her thing. I'm going to yeah. support her, but this is inconvenient. So you got to fit into our
2: lives. Yeah.
1: How's this going to fit? How's, well, but it was still her life. Yeah. So I was enough to like, okay, it's her life. It's going to inconvenience me, but I can cook something I kind of don't want to. So how am I going to? So I started to get busy and then having had a a dear friend she's my dear friend 15 years vegan and she was not a vegan that it was the annoying vegan but she's not annoying but we had to take the goat cheese off and put it on the side for the salad things like yeah. that you know just we had to be mindful and looking back like yeah she was she had a, a request and we would do we would honor it but it was a little inconvenient you know
2: yeah
1: um mind you six months later i had been Absorbing, there was a restaurant nearby that had mess that has messages up from cowspiracy, uh that and and, about, and other messaging about like beans versus um beef, chickpeas versus chicken, and we're putting in on a big screen. so I, I would eat there, delicious food, watch the imaging, like, hmm, hmm So I had some imaging happening, and then cowspiracy had come out. Being an environmentalist, I thought, I'm going to sit down and watch this movie. I've heard about it. People are talking about it. I'm going to see what this is about. So she's watched it with me.
0: And can I just interrupt you before you go on to that sure. next stage? Yes. Because I just had an observation about, I guess, the way you thought about your daughter's choice and and the friend you had as well, which echoes something with me. So, so many of my most of my friends and some of my family think of my veganism as it's like an awkward hobby. <laughs> you know, it's, it's it's not it's not sort of an an ethical stance okay. that is core to who i am and what i think is right and wrong it's just like a thing yep. that i choose to do that they choose not to do yep. and it's a bit inconvenient and you can see that in many of the interactions right it's, whereas it, i think if it was a stance around an intra human ethic people think mm. of it in a very different way you know if i if if i instead of having that conversation was talking about being against homophobia, for example, no one would treat it in that trivializing way, like it was just some weird hobby I had. Everyone be like, "Yes, of course we're on board." But with non-human animals, it's like a, "Oh, you have this weird hobby. I'm not really that interested in it." And um, yeah, past past the stake. Um. Anyway, Ex- just an opposite, I don't know if that's how it felt. Like it was you didn't realize how
2: core it's it was like to her.
1: her. Right. Yeah. It's like a thing. It's her thing. It's yeah. her thing. She does. Yeah. Because that's her thing she does around food. And then yeah. she has her thing she does around spirituality or religion or um ec- academia. You know, it's yeah. like it's their thing they're doing. It's like it's like section because we do, we kind of section off things like okay, there's family and there's you know hobbies and then there's sports and there's entertainment and then you know, you don't think about food. Most people don't think about that they haven't chosen the way that they eat. They might say, I choose healthy. Yeah i'm gonna choose healthy you know i'm gonna i'm gonna be a healthy person that's like food choice is healthy think about that you know i've never thought about that but that makes sense because when i think about it and also gmo was the thing that i was also involved it was like enough aware that food was 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 um what mattered but i guess when she said for the animals i got curious i was like. Hmm, interesting mm. but not enough because i didn't want to be inconvenienced i didn't want yeah. to know yeah I, I i whenever i saw those crazy activist vegans anywhere at any any place i avoided them <laughs> because and now I, you that, that's their world
2: that, yeah in yeah.
1: other words in other words okay i went to a Hare Krishna temple when i was in my 20s as well it's just exploring yeah. sat down had a meal And thought this is for them but they're so generous they some friends and i went they had food they were kind and then walked away that was their thing that's their that's their lane they're doing them and they were welcoming i was like that's beautiful they were welcoming so i kind of had that experience of like wanting to be welcoming um so my point is it was it you know to me it was caitlin's thing that she was doing and i got to figure out as mom but she needs to help me because I was like, "Come to the grocery store, let's shop together." Yeah. But then, like I said, I sat down, seen enough information. She sitting next to me within the first fifteen minutes. I said, "I'm going vegan" because there was enough information about the resources that are being used to put animal products on people's plates. And I wasn't real. I wasn't really eating burgers. I had a couple pepperoni on my pizza. I was mostly eating fish. That's kind of I was pescatarian. Mm. So. Um, and there wasn't a whole lot about fish, but I just went. I'm going all in because it's animal. And then somewhere in there, there was another message that clicked about an, animals matter. Animals have sentience. Animals. What? How? Who do I think that I am to take another's life? And that's where I think the "thou shall not kill" message came in for me. Yeah. Where who? Who do I think that I am that I can take a breathing being's life? And, and, and eat it when there are people who are thriving on plants, there was enough information there, right? Wait, click resources. This is a, and then the last one was, and I may be this, I, I feel like they mentioned this in the movie somewhere. If what I'm doing is affecting marginalized communities or anyone else that negatively by what they're providing for me on my plate, that's injustice. And I'm not going to participate in that. And I'm committed to leaving a planet better or definitely, hopefully not worse for my children than it already is. So if I'm contributing to that, I got to stop. Yeah, I'm going to stop. And I wasn't funny because I wasn't really in on the animals just yet. It was discovered the sentience of animals through the activism that I did, looking in pigs' eyes as they were on their way to slaughter, giving them water with the Save movement and other things that I've done over the seven years, you know. Um, that I put myself in those situations because I thought I've got to learn this, I don't know this. And watching Earthling Ed videos and you know, learning like what is going Is this really going on? Because the veil just kept lifting and lifting and layers and layers and onions peeling away. Like I've been lied to all these years.
2: What?
0: It's amazing, oh isn't it? Gosh. It's so and mind-blowing I- when you look back on it and go, How did I think that was normal?
2: How did I not know?
1: That mother cows are, it's milk comes from mother cows. How did I not know that? Being a mother who nursed both of my children.
2: Yeah.
1: I do not know this. It's just ice cream and cheese and yogurt. And they don't take the babies away. They let them nurse until they let them, at least that's what my thing. They must let them, then they got to move on because they've grown. They've weaned because my son weaned himself. Like he just one day goes, nope, done. Let me have, you know, let's move on. My daughter was like, "No, I'll hang out with you for two and a half years. You know, let's do this." And so I thought that's what m- must have happened with baby cows in my mind, that's what I justified. Yeah, but I couldn't get this. i had I had been so duped by all the messaging that I didn't connect. <laughs> I'm going to own it that cheese, yogurt, ice cream, all came from the nipple of a mother cow. So when I took my babies off, I said, there's no way they're drinking cow's milk, at least not for a while. But I handed them cheese sticks, yogurt, ice cream, did not make the connection. I was, Mm. and that is purposeful, you know, and I get that it's not my fault. Because I was told this. However, I take responsibility now, right? Once you know. Now you know. Now
0: you
2: know. Yeah. yeah.
1: No, and that's the thing. And that's the part about responsibility too. I want to say because yeah. this is a victim until you have that awakening of maybe like seeing. And I'm not. Listen, I'm not saying this is gonna. Uh, there are a lot of horrific things that have happened to people that I don't. I don't know if I could get beyond and actually see. I just have chosen for myself with with that particular with child abuse to actually see where I had some part in what led up to. And that's another story. But, and it was not right for this person to take advantage of me, an adult, to take advantage of a, you know, 10 year old, like, no, nine year old. So, no, no, yeah, no, an adult person.
2: Man, yeah, No, no question.
1: So, no question about that. And yet I'm not living in the past about that. I actually am committed to informing mothers and adults and parents about watch your children around people. You know, that's very important.
0: And I think there's I don't want to draw you back to that. But I do think there's a a link there to the compassion we feel for others and we feel for ourselves. Because I think Mm -hmm. if we're too hard on ourselves in terms of our own responsibility for things that we may not have had any power over, there is a danger we lose compassion for ourselves. Um, Mm -hmm. historically or day-to-day, right? And I do think that compassion for ourselves requires us to be clear with ourselves and not pander to ourselves and not blame others, but it does mean we have to recognise the systems we're part of and the influences of others and what we could and couldn't do at certain stages of our lives. So, so that I think that compassion is core. But I think that also relates to how we think about other people too, because I think you've been, you've been very clear, right? You choose how you want to deal with your stuff and your life. And I think that's completely clear. The red flag for me is where people start to apply that to other people. And, mm-hmm. and again, those, those are some of the red flags yeah. I was mentioning earlier on, where if someone starts to say, well, these terrible things have happened to you, and basically that's because you're not doing what I told you to do or you're not manifesting yeah. in the right way or whatever. Again, that cuts away at the compassion we have for other people because everything's your fault and you know unlucky. so again, I don't want to go over it again, but I think there's a link there between that sort of the appropriate level of self responsibility and and a harsh level of responsibility that can undermine our compassion for ourselves and and
2: others, yeah
1: yes, I agree with you, I agree yeah. with you, yeah. and I so think that. You know the best way to handle that, obviously. I think I think is with a professional. You know, I think I've come to this through multiple mediums of learning these kind of conversations. This is not an overnight sensation. This is years. And I and I recently did another incredible workshop. Yes, and work. You got to do the work. You got to dig deep to do the work. And it might not be for you. You've may reached a point where you're like, I'm not forgiving that person. And don't. If that's what you're choosing to do, I'm not saying this is my life. This is what I've chosen for me. So thank you for honoring that. And I'm not, I never go around that way, like pointing the finger to other people and yeah. saying you need to go do this. No, that's not compassion. Yeah, the compassion exactly, is to exactly. say, yeah. If they want to hear, and I also don't go around saying like, I'm so much better than you because I did this work. No, it's actually, I have compassion for your situation. Like what happened? Wow. That must be really hard for you and not make any more judgment about that, but just try to empathize with another through I think owning my own has allowed me to have space to empathize with other I think that's the key that's happened for me that's had me kind of mature in a sense is is come to a place now where I have empathy I can have I can listen to people rather than be wounded and broken and not able to hear because I can't that's too much yeah because it was too much for a while I couldn't hear I couldn't have empathy and compassion for others very difficult understandably what's led me to want to fight for others is having gone through moments where i wasn't heard and i wasn't able to speak i didn't feel i was able to speak up and i wasn't able to tell my story and tell what was happening to me or to you know stop and then ultimately stop you know so i think being someone who was victimized and who experience that, that I want justice for all animals and beings to be heard and to yeah. be free and to be free.
0: Yeah, thank you. And I think that that's the theme that runs through everything you've said about, I guess, your ethics and your morality is that sense of, you know, identification with the other and caring about them as imperfectly as we can, in the same way they care about themselves. You mentioned the golden rule, and you can upgrade that to a platinum rule where we don't want for others what we want. We want for them what they want for themselves, but whatever it is, right? It's that, that core of recognizing the perspective of another, their experience, what they value. They care about their suffering. They care about their flourishing. They care about their life and their death. And, and morality for me is just the choice of, for us to care too. Um, and in a way that's what draws me back to this idea of sentience, because almost by definition, sentience is the capacity to have your own perspective to have your own experiences. So any being that's sentient, we can apply that ethic to. Um, and any entity that we're sure isn't sentient, it's sort of not relevant because they don't have a perspective, they can't suffer, they can't experience things, they don't value their own existence. You know, a rock doesn't value its own existence, so we don't necessarily need to in the same way. We might still care about it because of its impact on sentient beings, but that's partly why it's almost tautological, that sort of definition of morality, thinking about the perspective of the other draws me back to sentience as the sort of check to make sure that we're including all sentient beings in our in our scope yeah thank you so we've answered what's real and what and who matters i think the final big question is how can we make a better future? And through the work you've done, both environmental work and for the last seven years in the animal activist space, um, with social media work, your TV work, the food bank work, you've seen so many different types of activism and advocacy. I'm fascinated to learn your view about, you know, big picture, how do you think we can make a better world? Um, Mm. It's a crazily big question, but where would you start?
1: (laughs) I would circle back to what I said earlier, personal responsibility for social change. That's where it starts. Really work on ourselves first, heal ourselves, heal ourselves and take responsibility. And I'm again, you know, I want to kind of take that what's happened to you, just not that you have to own that you had any responsibility. That's not what I'm saying. But so much of the, I see is just pointing fingers elsewhere when there's, you know, so many pointing towards us when you I feel if we start there, then I believe we, we have, I have hope, hope for hope in action. Um, There's a lot of systems that are broken that we are now acknowledging. They were, they were set up broken yet. Nobody was acknowledging that. And now Mm -hmm. or or systems were set in motion, for instance, you know, oil being used for plastics, and it was accepted back in the what, like 1970s, and it just polyester and there were other forms of like hemp was coming into existence, mushrooms were being um, were being uh, explored. But those were pushed aside for oil being used for plastics. And now every single piece of plastics on the a piece of plastic on the planet still exists. It doesn't break down into anything else. It still exists in microplastics. That's astonishing. And I'm not plastic free. so we're not talking about perfection. But it's astonishing. So there are systems I feel that are so so broken, but we can't say, oh, they're so broken. they're hopeless. I, I mean, we can. But I feel that. If, you know, not if, because I, I have gone there, I've gone to, oh, my gosh, you know, 10 more years or nine. And that put me on a spot for about a few months. And then I thought I've got to get in action. So and work towards projects, because if we are burning up and, you know, like uh, David Attenborough, uh, the, um, the Breaking Boundaries, the film Breaking Boundaries, if you haven't seen that yet, you know, there's. Nine is break. There's nine boundaries. We're already broken. Many of them. We're in the sixth mass extinction. We're we're headed in that direction. That's those are science facts. I think we need to sort out. We need to be. We need to be connected. Yeah. So,
2: one of the. Question, things-
1: I'm kind of off the question, but I'm. Mm, I don't have a solid answer. I think we need to work together. Yeah. And what is that we can in villages and in creating that village feeling again. Finding yeah. your tribe and your community and moving forward in action.
0: So starting with yourself and then finding ways to collaborate in community yeah. to drive change. And and I don't know if this helps, but it, it strikes me that many of the problems we're facing are technically reasonably easy to
2: fix. Mm-hmm.
0: Um the and I'd, I'd I'd apply that to, you know, many of the animal ethics problems around animal, animal agriculture. I'd apply that to many of the climate change solutions. You know, often, yes, we might need a bit more technology or another innovation here or there. But generally, we, by and large, have quite a lot of the answer already, It's at least in vision. The real problem is um, systemic, institutional and social inertia. You know, it's about lack of political will. It's about powerful social norms that we find hard to break. So it's more about, it strikes me that in many of these conversations, it's more about human psychology and human social norms and political lack of will than it is actually about, you know, what are we technically going to do? I mean, the the food system is one obvious answer, right? And I don't want to paper over the challenges of making that transition happen, but plants are edible. And so we already have the answer because you could use the existing, you could use half the existing agricultural land of the planet and make double the output. So there yes. is no problem in a sense, right? But the problem is the social norms and the transition. And the, so, So in that context, I guess persuading people and persuading groups and shifting institutional policies, you know, is really where the challenges are. From your experience, what do you think are the most productive ways of pulling those levers so you you're working with uh tv and media and social media and food banks and various forms of activism do you have a sense of you know is it let's just try everything or are there certain things where you're more hopeful um, that might drive things to another another obvious example is the availability of you know alternatives in the climate space or the food space for example or um law or politics or economics you know there are so many different levers we might choose to pull
1: definitely lobbying uh yeah in in, in in lobbying for a change in the systems with subsidies i think that's yeah. one of the key things here in america and i think in you know in the uk and around the world li- literally changing the policies that come from the government because there's money that we spend as tax tax money and um that most people don't realize especially you know it, it just it's just what we do and so where does that money go we we just You know, we used to believe that we trusted the government, they were putting in the right places. But now I think a lot of people are what is happening, you know, but we're still paying because that's the system that's been put into place. Right. Yeah. We're subsidizing
0: the continuation of the problem we're complaining about, which is genuinely bizarre.
1: (laughs) It's genuinely bizarre, but I'm not a lobbyist. I don't. That's not my lane. But I'm going to support, like the Agriculture Fairness Alliance, which is is the lobbying group that's the most active. That's going, you know, that I would say definitely put that in the bio, put it wherever. If you're in the United States or anywhere, you can sponsor. You can sponsor. You can put money towards lobbying on. Got it. You got to be a voice in the government to make the change. So that's important. Yeah. Um, I would say you know, here's the thing again. Mm my activism isn't yours so whatever you're good at or you feel you could be good at or you want to try just get in there and start doing it because did i know what i was doing before i started working with jane velez mitchell no did have i been in like my own mba you know my not mba but my own um, broadcasting um graduate school yes yes have I learned on, on the job. job yes have i made a ton of mistakes Yes. In the last five years, have I had a lot of successes? Yes, I did. I do have social skills from an early age. I was on the phone making appointments at my father's, uh, my stepfather's doctor's office at like 10, 11. So I was able to, you know, know how to like communicate with people on the phone. So Booking guests for Jane's shows has been something that I have been doing from the get-go and booking guests on a cooking show, which was really fun, called Lunch Break Live that we did for five years. It's on a little hiatus. So I knew those things. So that's what I first started out in. And then the rest just kind of evolved in all these different ways the past five years. Yeah. I say start now. The what's the most effective? I do think I was just at the grocery store purchasing some things last night. I was astonished to see all the innovation of plant-based meats. Like th- there are brands I'd never heard of. There were like 20 different types of options for like yeah. different things. And I was astonished. It's meeting cost. So that's important to keep innovating in the food space, coming up with things that taste delicious for plants. I think. Um, so that's a power I think that's a powerful way. I think getting food on people's plate and getting healthy food is important. And then what I feel like when a hunter is doing with the vegans of La food bank is she's she's basically bringing food worthiness. Everyone is worthy of a healthy meal. So she's not giving bruised fruits and vegetables to people who are in need. These are folks who are, most of them do have somewhere that they're living, um but it's paycheck to paycheck down, you know, and food prices are skyrocketing. And so uh, the beauty of bringing a beautiful bouquet of kale and um bok choy and um bananas to folks, and they bring their grocery bag along and we we load it. food worthiness. everyone is 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 deserving of a healthy meal and most people don't know what that even means because they think that the chicken's healthy they don't realize the amount of antibiotics going in that they they think that that piece of fish isn't full of microplastics or full of um chemicals or well and then you go into the sentience of the animal you're digesting okay in a spiritual way digesting what happened for that animal that animal does not want to die i mean if anybody out there has seen those videos where the lobsters trying to crawl climb out or the the cows are you know breaking through fences here in America and taking off in the middle of the freeway and pigs are jumping off slaughter trucks that are transporting them to the slaughterhouses that's because they have a will to live you know so i didn't think about any of this until i did so that's the other thing the day before i was vegan i wasn't so i keep that in mind and i go into this yeah. thing called clubhouse and it's it's an audio app and I hang out with farmers from around the world and they let me on stages to ask questions and I'm very respectful and I say remember I came from a cattle ranching family didn't know it but when that my brother's pet pig got so large that they sent it to somebody else's house to take care of it that I put it together that was the slaughterhouse to become bacon, he never eats ham, bacon, or any of that. He eats the other animals, but he won't eat pigs because that was his pet pig. Yeah. So
2: I made that the connection. Thing
1: I say the thing I want to say. I think some of these programs also, like Rowdy Girl Sanctuary, is doing what's called the Ranchers Advocacy Program. Miyoko shinner Ranch Rancho Compassion is she has a a turning, supporting dairy farmers to to have jobs. In the nut milk and plant milk. Yeah. Okay. That's powerful. Providing jobs for people to transition out of the system. In all systems, I think and we need to f- sort those things out so that we're not just saying, You, you're out, we're in, and we win. No, let's have it so that we can all win and be healthy, thriving, contributing, community. Ooh. Nobody wants to be in a slaughterhouse working, slicing and dicing. Come on the 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 amount of what I've heard from the studies show that the amount of depression, suicide rates, alcoholism, spousal abuse, that happens from those slaughterhouse workers that are providing food for people. yeah, they don't realize it. They're just eating their burger, eating their chicken as well as well as I was,
0: yeah. and so- i and I think and I think those ideas, come together really beautifully because ultimately we, we need a transition, right? And it's got to be a systemic level transition, but that, um, that just transition is going to be so much easier if we can provide good alternative, easy choices and everyone thinks of the consumer choices. So as you said, you know, great, you've got a Beyond Burger on the shelf in the supermarket next to the, uh, flesh. Um, so there's a consumer choice that is tasty and convenient and healthy and ideally the kale even more than the Beyond Burger, right? So there's a there's a consumer choice there. You know, maybe even the idea of like we have universal basic income, an idea of universal food that is worthy, everyone is worthy of, and everybody can consume. But then, as you said, I think it's it really powerful to engage with the people who are embedded in that system, the farmers, the institutions, the supply chains, and provide them with better alternatives too. And and even for the politicians, right? Here's a better alternative. It ticks all your boxes. It works for you. Um, and that, that doesn't mean we have to undermine the sort of ethical clarity and drive and the imperative because we see the horror of what this system is doing. But I think if you can provide all of the different stakeholders with a a better alternative, frankly.
2: The
1: farmers here in America, for sure. Well, a lot of farmers, they're very prideful. And yeah. America was built on the farmers. So they, we, I've actually we've even asked them if you had a choice to just grow plants successfully and be subsidized and everything, would that be what you would do? And they have said no, because to them it's it's literally that that Marlboro man on the on the horseback.
2: Yeah, you know, it's an identity thing, right?
1: It's, it's an identity. It's a cultural for them, and it's it's heritage. So yeah. they talk a lot about heritage. They inherited their farm from their grandfather. Yeah, and, and they feel a
0: duty to continue that as it, they as it was it, handed down to them,
1: and they now call it. They provide protein for the world, yeah. so literally what they say, we provide protein for the world, and um, and I hear that that's what they believe, and that's their paradigm. You see, again, back and to paradigm. You
0: need to send tip. them on this workshop.
1: It would be great, I, you know. I don't do see them
2: signing more. up, but yeah. I
1: feel like the animals are rising up and that you know take it for what you will that's maybe my spiritual but I have had some moments where I felt the animals were communicating with me and I've seen other people who have said that as well and I met a man last night actually who said that about the foxes because he's always loved fox and he felt like this fox he just anyway um that might be a little too esoteric but um but I will say I do feel that the and I don't know if you ever read or read you know read the book Animal Farm right the 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 classic oh, yeah. Yeah. classic the you know, animals rising up so I I feel like that's another piece that I I am, um praying for or just putting out there let's just say not praying for putting out there yeah. that the farmers have a moment maybe their grandkid is going to say I don't want you to slaughter that chicken I that's my friend. You know, and they, they because the kids are coming in more aware yeah. and, and being and are they able to communicate? There's an incredible film coming out, you all, called Christ Spiracy. Christ Spiracy. You're gonna to want to see it. Kip Anderson from the uh Cowspiracy, What the Health fame, right? It's his film with um Cameron, and they go on this spiritual journey of how do you spiritually kill and eat an animal and there's a scene in there with a boy and his grandfather and you will know what i'm talking about when you see that because they're hunting and it's it's systemic it's systemic in our families as well and in our cultures um this passing down of this uh systemic uh violence that we're not aware of
2: normalized violence
1: people we think we're compassionate people we hmm. think we we commit to being that. I really believe that, and yeah. I was living a compassionate, loving, kind. Thou shall not hurt any harm way. Or at least I thought, because that's what I wanted to believe. Yeah,
2: and, and I think I'm, this is,
0: and this is often the way it works. I think intuitively is people go, well, I am I'm a good person. I must be a good person. I feel like I'm a good person. My family and the society and I'm around me, they're good people too. So the things we do must be good things
2: mm-hmm. and, and that's again, it right marketing... as, as long as you
0: don't as long as you don't think too hard about the victims
1: right, it, right it's very right, comfortable right. well and but then we've also back to circling back to the beginning we've also agreed that humane slaughter is acceptable so yeah. we've all accepted that if i'm going to choose to eat something i'm going to choose sustainable humane equal you know uh, now there's the whole climate like um carbon sequestering oh I'm going to eat some carbon sequestering. And so I, I'm going to feel like I'm an environmentalist because I'm eating this beef because it's good for the environment. See? Yeah.
0: Which brings um, us back to the broken epistemology and the, and the destruction of the definitions of what words like humane even mean.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy.
1: What does really mean? Right. Yeah. And did we all decided upon it?
0: Yeah. I mean, it means treating someone with kindness and care and compassion. How is that consistent with being farmed? I just don't get it right, and 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 you would be horrified if someone suggested that you could farm humans humanely. But it's the same word, so so. And I do play with this sometimes on Twitter. I probably put something out yesterday that rather. Have you heard of Elwood's uh, Elwood's dog meat? Yeah. Yes. So I've taken it to the next level, and I'm I'm starting to talk about farming human human toddlers for food. Uh, They have they have Mm -hmm. happy lives. It's humane. It's organic. Uh, you know, they just have one bad day, one bad day.
2: One
1: bad day. One bad day. I just posted that the other day. One bad day. Mm.
0: Anyway. I so that's been brilliant. Thank you so much. Um, what I think is comes across to me is you 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 look at the problems we're facing with very clear eyes, right? And you see the, the depth and the severity of the problem, but it shines through that you still have optimism and hope and a sense of. However tough it's going to be, we're still going to do what we can that runs through all of your activism. Is there anything else you'd like to add into the conversation about how can we make a better future? Have we given a sort of
2: picture of how you think about that? Well, I feel
1: anybody out there that's listening, it's, it's going to get worse. Things are going to start breaking down, and it, it is going to get um, challenging. And I think the most important place for each individual person, again, accepting responsibility for yourself, not to put the, keep putting, pointing blame and find ways that you can center. Whatever that is. Yeah. yeah. Whatever that may be. That's not my center is not yours. But center yourself. And what does that even mean? Well, that means ground yourself. Yeah. So ground yourself in your truth, who you truly are as a good person. I Every person I believe genuinely down to the core is born with compassion, empathy, love care, kindness, justice. And then we get tainted along the way.
0: We nearly all have that capacity, right? I mean, unless there's something deeply psychologically broken and there's a couple of percent of people that are in that camp, but nearly everybody else has at least the raw material that we're talking about here of that sense of compassion and that willingness to cooperate and do good in the world. So that's a a hopeful message to, (laughs) to finish on. What's the best way of people following you, learning more about your work? Uh, Obviously they need to download the Unchained TV app and, Watch it on the web, and if they're in LA, come and help out with the food bank, and uh, watch your cookery classes. What? Where would you point people? I'll include all the links, of course. But
1: okay, okay. So I'm Paige Parsons Roach on all social media, LinkedIn, you know, all the different places, Facebook, Instagram, and then also plant based in the verbs, and that's our cooking show, um, UnchainedTV.com, and you can click and watch now and download the app, and our show is on there. Vegans of Los Angeles, Vegans of LA, Vegans of Los Angeles. Um, that's Gwena Hunter. I just, you know, really support because we just started and it's just started. It's going to the, the The idea is that it's a prototype for anyone who there's a food bank anywhere around the world that bringing plant based foods at least once a month. That's what we're doing, um, that that's a doable option. You just need to, you know, enroll the person and uh, kind of get them, you know, on board. That the staff is there and we just bring the food in and then the people come. It's amazing. So that's brilliant. So, yeah.
2: yeah. Well, I'm sure I... my
0: tiny audience will come and follow you and support your amazing work. Thank you. And it's brilliant to have you in our Facebook, our Sentientism Facebook group too. So
1: thank you so much, cool. Jamie. I appreciate this conversation. I love bringing about conversational change. So thank you. And, yeah. and
0: these are the most important questions, which is why. I Just can't let them go.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, thanks for watching, everyone. We appreciate you. See you next time. Thank
0: you so much. Please stay in touch,
2: Paige. Lovely to talk to you. Okay, you too. Bye.
0: Thanks for listening. You're helping to normalize rational, compassionate thinking. Don't forget to subscribe, leave us some stars or a review. You can visit sentientism.info to find out more, and you'd be very welcome in any of our online community groups. The biggest is on Facebook. If you like what we're doing, why not tell your friends about us?